0: It's a quarter past four I packed my bag with less things That we hold in
1: conversation
0: If that's even possible
1: Remember when your friends told you about Envy on the Coast?
0: The fact that I could this song
1: How about Never Shout Never? Check.
0: Check one, two. Alright, you goes something. If timing's everything, stop telling me you're taking your time. I know you're anxious, but you're your mouth like you're fine. years old again.
1: Or there for tomorrow.
0: Your initial reply hit me undercover when I lost my head to it. It was out of its time, it was undiscovered as I caught my breath
1: again artists and more started off as unsigned bands spotlighted in our monthly apnr section do you want to be the first to know about the newest coolest bands before they're signed then check out the brand new apnr podcast hosted by web editor tim karen the apnr podcast features over 45 minutes of music from unsigned bands all over the world as well as plenty of insight as to what they're all about download an episode now at altpress.com podcast or subscribe through itunes so you can start telling your friends about the next big thing before they beat you to it.
0: Remember when times were better When times were better than this We never had to remember When times were better
1: When times were better The drum
0: smile of joy arrives in me,
2: but changes to pain. Our band name is pronounced Silverstein, not Silverstein. That reads, the frequently asked questions section on the website to 5 piece Burlington, Ontario post-hardcore act, Silverstein. Several questions later, the obvious follow-up is posted, are any of you guys Jewish? Taken from the last name of Where the Sidewalk Ends author Shel Silverstein on a whim, this now going on a decade-old band melted together from a couple of local groups from in and around Burlington, glued together by molecular biologist wannabe Shane Toll and engineering wannabe drummer Paul Kohler. A couple of member swap outs, including the lead guitarist for Told's buddy Neil Boshart and the commitment from rhythm guitarist Josh Bradford and Billy Hamilton on bass, The band quickly popped out a six-song EP, Summer's Stellar Gaze, by the end of summer 2000, and a follow-up, When the Shadows Beam, a few years later, in between racking up Van Miles and Life Tales. Walked through the door at Victory Records by former grade drummer Charles Moniz in 2002, the band was signed and quickly knocked out its first full-length, the 200,000-plus selling, When Broken is Easily Fixed, which also included the single, Smashed Into Pieces a nice little tune that got used as an audition song for American Idol, giving them a nice little Wikipedia entry. Power Pop for the New Millennium, oddly enough, was how their follow-up 2005's Discovering the Waterfront was described, possibly due to the fan success of singles like My Heroine and Smile in Your Sleep. Consistent touring only cemented My Heroine as the band's trademark within the scene and as an often requested acoustic performance. It was also during 2005 on the Never Sleep Again tour with Aiden, Hawthorne Heights, and Bayside that John Hollowan, drummer for Bayside, was killed in a van accident when their van hit black ice and flipped outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming. A 2006 Warped Tour trek, a compilation of rarities called 18 Candles the Early Years, and a Canadian Juno Award nomination for Best New Band, which they lost to Bedouin Soundclash, walked them into the hands of Blink-182 Jimmy Eat World producer Mark Trombino for their next record, Arrivals and Departures. The record, produced during difficult times for both the band and the producer, debuted at number 25 on the Billboard charts, cranking out a now rather unheard of 27,000 units the first week, along with two new crowd requests, If You Can See Into My Soul and Still Dreaming. Over the past few years, the band has been holding its own, despite the change in the sound of now to beats and white joke rap, handling duties on Warp Tour, Taste of Chaos, and even a short Japanese routing opening up for Avril Lavigne in the spring of 2008 just fine. Then, tired of dealing with the headaches of Californian ADD, the band returned to Ontario and to previous producer Cameron Webb to focus on what would become a five-chaptered record, now called A Shipwreck in the Sand. The project was released this past March. And go check out the iTunes only covers they did of uh, The Beatles' Help, Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way, Saves a Day Three Miles Down, and No Effects is Total Bummer. Quite fun stuff. Told owns and runs Verona Records, the Canadian indie, Home to Dead and Divide, A Dying Race, Dear Jane Eye, and the much loved and too quickly snuffed out The Stick Up. On his side, Kohler manages indie clothing line Liar's Manifesto, along with the Rock and Roll Design Company, a website development company, and Invisible Ninjas, less of a company and more of a contribution to the world of online photo blogs, which has world tour memories for the band from he and Billy Hamilton all throughout it. In AP Issue 229, Shane Told said, quote, There were times I wanted to quit. There were times I didn't know if we were going to make it. Now sure, a lot of musicians wonder that, regardless of their popularity or whether they're crammed into the backseat of a tour van or alone in their isolation bunk on the tour bus. But for Silversteam, when you talk to these guys, it's quite apparent that this band has enough confidence in themselves and confidence in their never-decreasing fan base to weather whatever storm the music business sends their way next. This is Mike Shay. benefit of those that aren't that familiar with you guys, um, why don't you just say your name and what you play in
3: the band so they can recognize your voice as we continue on.
4: Sure. I'm Shane, and I sing for
3: Silverstein. And I'm Paul. I play the drums for Silverstein. Um,
2: You know, this really isn't much of a musician question, but I do have to ask it because I always find it um, fascinating to see what artists uh, were almost going to do with their lives. So uh, I just want to find out how much... um, in depth truth is there to the fact that Shane, you were going to go, you were going to college for molecular biology. That's correct. And Paul, you were going to get into engineering.
3: Yeah, I was in the first year program. First year program? Okay. Yeah.
2: So um, is there any part uh, about now that you guys are a little bit older and it's all past you and stuff like that where, especially as the band was like, there's been times I'm sure where you guys are like, should we continue? Do I want to do this anymore? Is this worth it? Um, where you guys would really like to be in those fields right now, is there something going on in either one of those fields you'd be like, "Damn, it'd be so cool to do that's not I don't know, not really because yeah. I think
4: part of it, to be honest, is when you decide as a kid what you want to go to college for and what you want to do, you're so young that you don't really know you just you just know what subjects you liked in high school and if you had a good teacher, you know like I had a good chemistry teacher and a good physics teacher I really liked. And okay. those were my favorite classes, because they were fun, and that's why I decided to go into that. I don't think it really had anything to do with my life's purpose, mm-hmm. because I, I mean I always, I always wanted to play music. I always wanted to be in a band, but I just never thought that was feasible. So I mm-hmm. always just did well in school and enjoyed you know my life and normal life with my friends, and right. and that's just what I went into.
3: Yeah, it's almost like you spend your high school career preparing for university, and then you have your extracurricular activities, whether it's sport or like music for us. And that's all it was. You know, you did music on the weekends, you did school during the day, and you thought that's how your life was set up to be. Mm. Until you're given the opportunity to do something different.
2: You know, the the stories are that um, you guys uh, essentially dropped out of school and kind of gave up those lives uh, when the band got signed. Is that literal? That is yeah, pretty much yeah. right but on. But yeah, okay. yeah like, I
4: mean, we, I mean, had it been a smaller label, um, maybe we wouldn't have, you know. But but Victory and the place that they were at the time, we were pretty sure we'd be able to get out there and get on some tours and just kind of do it. And I remember saying to to my my family because you know my my parents weren't exactly stoked about me dropping out of out of university. Um, Which university was that? It now? was University of Guelph.
2: Okay. Okay. And, uh, um,
4: so where was I? Yeah. So <laughs> were joking, they weren't like, exactly, they were they weren't of, yeah, exactly stoked, of, yeah. stoked yeah. about it. So I remember saying, like, look, you know, I was just looking at, like, hardcore bands. All my favorite hardcore bands, they put out two records and they break up. You know, and it's like they kind of have their run and then they realize, well, you know, we're older and we're not making any money and it's time to get a real job, kind of. And that's sort of where I thought we would be. And then it turned into this this great big thing and it turned into a career and it turned into riding on a tour bus and everything it's crazy right.
3: yeah but you basically we kind of dropped everything to give it a 100% chance you know some bands like you know keep their day jobs they you know only tour on the weekends but we basically dropped out of school quit our jobs you know and just like got in the van but i mean we were all living at home so we could exactly. afford to do stuff like that and part, we were young you know that so. was
4: the most part of it i think is that we were young and we all still lived at home and we had supportive parents so we didn't have to worry about that you know a month for rent. helps a lot. Or anything. And that's, I think, a
2: big part of it is how old we were. Do you think that uh, when you guys got signed, um, did you guys – was there any part of your your local scene there – um, because were you guys in Burlington? Yeah, at that yeah, because right, yeah, I thought like you moved there eventually. Whatever. were, well, Kitchener. we're all the same area. We're all yeah, the okay, same, same area.
4: area. I'm from Oakville, me and Neil are from Oakville, okay, and the rest are from Burlington, but it's literally like it's the same thing. So, did yeah. yeah. you guys okay. get sort of
2: like um, some of that jealousy and the envy stuff kind of going on from other local bands that maybe you guys have known for a while? They're like, oh, they got signed,
3: you know, well, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, because well, basically, what we did really? is we, we got signed to an American label, Victory, and then you know america's like the biggest market for our music so we spent you know 10 months out of the year touring america so everyone back home in burlington's like well where did they go like why aren't they here anymore why they're doing all these new things and it's almost like we stranded them on on the scene i thought yeah
4: there was a, definitely a lot of jealousy um and a lot of stuff you know shit talking behind our backs and stuff right. and we we were well aware of it we were well aware of who was saying it and I mean, there was a, a lot of other bands actually at the time getting signed in our local area like Alexis on Fire and Boys mm-hmm. Night Out and Monine, And they were all, you know, our peers and our friends. But right. I think because we had the most success in the U.S., there was always a little bit of, well, maybe, you know, maybe we're not the best band. We're There are better bands than Silverstein, you know, and I think that that's, I think it's natural for someone to feel that way. Yeah, you know, like like, like
3: like growing up though in this scene and being a younger band, it, the healthy competition was nice because you'd see some other band do something. Like, man, they really put a lot of effort into that. Let's try to let's try harder, you know, to kind of keep up with it. And it pushes you as an artist, but definitely, you know, as as bands, you know, venture out and become you know professional, everyone has a different perspective of it. Exactly. You know, it was
4: always, I mean, for us, we we were definitely by far the most successful band in the U.S. Yeah. So. It was always weird, a weird position for us, because we were just wanted to be friends with everybody. We were just, you know, yeah, happy we're, as a yeah, pig and shit, kind of, and we, we didn't, we didn't care. But then we knew there was a lot of people that, you know, weren't so stoked about us, you know, having all the success in in the states. So it was a really weird place for us and a weird time. And. I feel like we just we kind of just ignored it and it kind of went away and we just didn't really care yeah. anymore about it.
2: So we're so so just kind of jumping way up to the current right now. Where would you guys say your stature is? Without, and I'm not trying to make you guys sound arrogant or anything like that. But where would you say your stature is in your area now? Are you guys like?
3: Gods, or are I, you, I mean, people I mean,
2: still talking smack. or No, but the,
3: but the thing is, is like <laughs> regardless, like we're, we didn't like move to all, we didn't all, like get up and move to L.A. You know, we still right. live in the same area. And the thing is, is like we still do local shows, and all of our shows now are for a charity that we established. You know, mm. you know, we 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 know we play for free in our home area. We try to well, uh, you know, Shane works with with young with younger bands on his label, and we help right. out our friends' bands. And it's like it's we try to give back to the community uh, for the fans as well as the local bands. Yeah, exactly. It's
4: important to us. Like this. Scene we grew up in, and I had some of my best memories of my life going to local shows yeah. and doing that whole thing. And I met some of my best friends, and we just want to kind of continue that to, to to keep going, you know. And there's so many young great bands coming out, and we just want to help them. and And I think I think it's a good, I think it's better now actually for us. I think people look up to us as veterans, you know, in our scene, which is weird because I still feel like a kid, but yeah, you know,
2: I I think people look up to us like that, and and it's cool. So you're you're getting more. Especially as the MySpace generation kicked in, and you know anybody that could pick up a guitar could have a MySpace page, and thus could essentially have a band. Um, Are you finding that you're get because of your stature now? Are you finding that you're getting um, handed a lot more demos than? Previous because you guys are. Mm-hmm. I'd say, I'd say you may op- have connections and you may be able to get them on Warp Tour and you may be able to. No, but I <laughs> right. would say I would
3: say the opposite because back in the day, like say five years ago, kids would come and hand you a CD. Now they're trying to get you to check out their MySpace page, and it's like, right, right. to us, we kind of see the physical format. Yeah,
4: it's it's weird now though with other, with bands, and it seems like bands are way more concerned about how many MySpace plays they have and friends on MySpace than getting out and playing shows, and it's so backwards to me. You know, and, and the whole fashion, and bands are taking promo photos before they're even recording anything now. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's a very, very weird world, and it's something that I just, I don't think I fully understand. Really, to be honest. Really. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the the think the thought process. Bo- I mean, I guess I get it, but well, it l- just seems it seems backwards to me. Well, there's sometimes there's something to be wrong. said
3: about a band that like has an awesome demo and a promo photo and a MySpace page before they play a show. I mean, it, you know, there's some professionalism right. there, but it, it, it's weird, you know.
2: Right, right. They're really good at at, grap- at web graphic design, but 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 the the, the they the don't drummer know how to play their songs. Beat. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. I got it. Um, it is kind of interesting that. Uh, um, as you were saying, Shane. That I mean, because you do. I mean, you you own Verona Records, so I imagine the pressure is even got to be more so because now you're getting hit up not only because of your st- 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 statue with Silverstein, but you now you got the record company. Yeah. Now you've got, you know, ah, you can do more, and you know, and Paul, you've got your hands in so many different things. So I would just assume that the plethora of of requests from Musicians to check out their MySpaces would just be insurmountable. Like, at some point or another, you don't want to be rude to anybody in response because then they're going to go bad mouth you on a message board. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a dick. He wouldn't even take, respond to my email. So, like, how do you, like, um, I was talking to a singer the other day about this. How do you kind of balance that between, um, the, the easy let down for these musicians that come around and and so you you have to watch your reputation as a person because there is so easy for people to bad mouth you all over the place now and and hurt your reputation
4: sure well, for me, i'm just brutally honest if i tell really? like if I hear a band and i think and I think there's ways they can improve if I think their singer needs to sing more in his range or if I think the guitar player needs to stop going <laughs> like whatever it is i'll I'll just straight up tell them because that's yeah. when, I them a, when i was when I was a kid that's what I would want to hear from a from a band. Not oh yeah, it sounds good like bullshitting and you know, I'd rather right. hear the truth. And that's what I try to do. And uh, oddly enough, like now um I'll like log into my Facebook and they've got that like Facebook chat thing now that pops up. Oh yeah. And half the time <laughs> someone'll just be like, Shane, is that really you? Is this yeah, your real you page? you can't escape it now. And yeah. and I'm like, ah shit. Okay. And I'll just type back to them and it seems like it seems like about uh uh, eight times out of ten, they have a band and they want me to check it out. So I do, and I talk to them, and it's you know, it's it's not a big deal for me. You know, it's like it, it, it takes up some time,
2: but you know, I mean, what else am I going to do? <laughs> 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 um, I had a I had a com- couple conversations with uh, some bands on this show in the past about. Dealing with industry people and in kind of along the same lines about, you know, uh, responding and how you deal with somebody and and so you don't get a bad reputation. But what do you do about those people in the industry? There's that other side of it. And usually and usually radio people get tagged with this uh, and, and sometimes press um, when you can tell they're telling you how great you are and how, how great the show was and all these other things. And you can tell they're just full of it. It's like how, how do you how do you not get cynical on that after a while as a musician? You're just like wow, is everybody just full of it and just fake? And
4: yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I definitely, there's been times when I've been just sick. And yeah, just and people had, like just oh, had you, had brutal, the, you just played the best side of your career. You just like, had a really? brutal show, or like it's a show <laughs> where there's like just an obviously not you know not the best turnout or whatever. And yeah, that is a bit of a bummer. Um, but and I, then it makes you wonder when you walk off stage and you just re- and you really did just kill it if they if they notice or care you know so that is that is a hard thing to deal with i've actually haven't thought about that all that I, much i think
3: we're pretty lucky with a lot of people that we deal with because you know like in our world everyone's a bit more honest and there's a lot more passion i think with some of the people we we deal with i guess on I a more so. daily basis hmm. so like i know they're music fans and i know they go to a lot of shows and they hear a lot of music so if you know i can tell like I don't know a little bit more, but yeah, I, I I definitely don't like people that that are fake. I I can't yeah. really that bums me out pretty hard. I think that's <laughs> not not good.
2: You know, um, just going back to go, going way back, you got did you guys go to the same high school together?
3: No, we no, didn't, you did. two sh- different. Shane two, and Neil did, and I. Yeah. All right, that's how it
2: went. Okay, all right, and then the story is is that you guys. Um, it was a. It, there's two things I've heard. One is was that there was a lot of early rehearsals and stuff were in Josh's basement. That's yeah. true. Okay. The second thing I heard was that this was actually formed out of various side projects.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like kind of a That's, coming totally together true. All right, so yeah.
2: tell me about that a little bit so I can understand how that came together. Uh
3: well i, I played, there was something
2: about playing Beatles songs drunk in a barns and things and stuff like that, that at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, that, that happened. happened. That, that did happen at one, one time. <laughs> we'll get into that in a second, but the, the no, we started the band
4: essentially. Um, f- I mean, from my perspective, I I played guitar and sang in a punk band. Okay, it's kind of like a skate punk band, like a No Effects uh, lag wagon kind Is of. Is that bit.
2: why there's the No Effects cover on Yeah, the No Effects kinda? thing, yeah. big, big yeah. influence of mine. Okay, one of my favorite okay. bands. Yeah. And um, by the way, go go your own way, Fleetwood Mac cover. Great! <laughs> it's on like the it. iTunes uh, of oh. the new record. It's the iTunes ex- extra stuff. Very good. I'm very, very proud Thank of it. You. Yeah, yeah. And I, I played proud. the I played help uh, your your covers of the Beatles song very loud in the office earlier today, and and I had editors going up. Where the hell is that from? <laughs> and it's funny because editors don't get told about these things oh. at press. They don't know. So, it's usually the fans that end up telling the media, oh, there's all this extra stuff over here, this exclusive thing over there, and stuff like that. So, remember that. Anyway, back to your <laughs> thing. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, no,
4: I played, I played guitar and, and played in a punk band with the same guy since I was about 12 years old. And uh, the band was called Jerk Circus. It was, uh, you know, we started when we were kids. And, but we were actually a pretty solid band. And the uh, bass player now is in w- Wilhelm Scream.
5: Mm, and okay. the
4: uh, the drummer was playing guitar in Boys Night Out for a little while, so everyone kind of went on to to play music, I guess professionally. Uh, and then the other guys in the band sort of started some side projects, some other stuff. And uh, they were, you know, I'd kind of call them up, and they'd be like, "Oh, we're kind of jamming with our new band." And so I was like, "Okay, well, maybe it's time for me to try to do something else." And this was right at the time when um, the Get Up Kids were getting big. Okay, um, you know, things were really shifting over from like fast punk rock bands this to This is more, about
2: 1999, 2000? This is Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly, okay. exactly. Right time, And yeah. that's
4: when it kind of started switching over. And um, I knew Josh uh, from playing in his old ska band, which was called Questionable Sushi, because my punk Love band and his ska band would, would play <laughs> shows together. So I knew him pretty well, and straight up I saw him, uh, an ad on a, a message board of them looking for a singer for an emo band. So I said, well, I don't know... If I could sing like that or whatever, but, you know, I'll give him a call. I know Josh. So I gave him a call. This is before the days of email, really, so I think I actually literally phoned him. (laughs) (laughs) His house phone, too. We didn't even have cell phones yet. And uh, he was jamming with this other guy, Richard, who's our old guitar player. Mm. And they um, had gotten together. uh, They went to high school together and played in jazz band together. And they realized through playing jazz band that they shared a lot of the same musical uh, taste and uh, ended up playing a band together, and I jammed with them a few times, and uh, uh, then Paul came into the, Play on the same message. Board well, yeah, basically looking well, for a band. Well, was I was looking for a band I was
3: looking for a band of that vein, you know, because you know I was really into like stuff like Cap and Jazz and Mineral okay. and Get Up Kids and all that stuff. So I was like, hey, I want to play in a band like that. And then Josh hit me up, and he was like, yeah, well, we got this thing. Do you want to come try out? So I came and tried out with Josh and Rich, and I think the next time was Shane, and then that all kind of like came together, and I just ended up sticking, and, uh, and and you know, yeah,
4: and that was and that was it. But it was yeah. weird. It was weird because when we started it. It was a total side project for me, a total side, side project for Josh. Richard was playing in some metal band too, so we didn't even talk about anything being serious we just were doing it for fun well, in the basement well, that,
3: that's the thing though because with our scene it wasn't it was very typical to be in like maybe two or three bands because you know if right. everyone was so into music and people wanted to play all styles of music there'd be even like grade you know had side projects that were like ska bands and punk rock bands mm-hmm. like every even your, the, the, the idols of the scene had multiple bands it was just something to do it was fun you mm-hmm. know yep. it was easy to do
4: but yeah. we, we started we didn't think we'd ever I mean I didn't even think we'd ever make a record I thought maybe we'd record something in a crappy studio, maybe play a couple shows. I thought it might the band might only last a couple months cuz it was at the end of high school. Everyone was kind of I figured going yeah, to go like the their summer own way. after the lo- the final and, summer, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it was. And and for some reason when we started that band it was like it was kind of magical in the scene. Kids were just really stoked about it, really excited about what we were doing. Our first show we had
3: like 2 or 300 kids there. Like, how did you do that 203 years really... well, it, it, well, it was a, it was a benefit show for a friend of Josh and Rich's who passed so oh, um, so it, so yeah. it was yeah. it was for a good cause it was yeah. a charitable show and that kind of set our pace for a band to like to be involved with stuff like that but it also I mean because of all these these guys have been in other bands, there was some attention, like, oh, yeah, we've seen their other bands play, They're, t- you know, they're, they're good musicians, let's check out their new band, let's see what they got going on, so there's a lot of excitement. Well,
2: the theory is, is that, or what I've read, theory, what I've read <laughs> is that you guys formed about January, February of 2000.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then you guys, by August, already had a
2: six-song EP, Summer Stellar Gaze Out. Yeah. That's pretty damn fast.
3: Well, well, basically, Josh and Rich started writing music together, I think, end of... 1999, basically, and then I, you know, we all can't kind of came in through the spring. There was these songs we kind of worked on them together, recorded in June, but we basically recorded every song we had, which was like six songs. Okay, okay, but we recorded
4: and we recorded that whole EP in like a day. How did you fund it?
3: So. I just I think
4: I just paid for it. Yeah. Really? Were I you think, guys working at the but, time? Yeah, oh, yeah. Where, where you, yeah, we, we were all I mean, we were just
3: kind of doing job I mean, I worked it was like working at a restaurant. Really? Yeah, we were working like your typical like teenage kind of I worked jobs. at Walmart yeah. for you a You did? Bit. You
4: worked at a Walmart, really. I worked at Walmart. What'd you do? I did actually it was the first one of the first real Walmart stores in Canada. Oh, okay. And we did I did like a store setup for it one summer, so like literally building the shelves and crap like that.
3: It was like, you know? A pretty mundane job, but yeah. But but I mean also back then I think that first CP cost like maybe five hundred dollars. Maybe. You yeah. so, chip in a couple hundred or hundred bucks, you know, there it's paid for. It's like yeah. that was it. So
2: So between two thousand and two thousand two when you put out the second one, uh when the shadows beam, and I, according to notes, it's April two thousand two. Yeah. Um what did you guys do up there then? Was it just playing around regionally? Did you guys start coming into the States and touring at all or trying to do any gigs no, like in we, Chicago or Detroit or nothing? No, it, it's, we, it's, it's really it's hard. so
4: hard to get across the border with all your gear that we never even tried. Mm. Um, yeah, we never wanted to get so well, many plus horror that time, stories. Well,
2: yeah, right after that, that was all 9-11 and they were going crazy. Yeah, that's that. true, too. It got too. a lot harder, too. That's, that's true, true, too, yeah.
4: But I, I don't know. It's, it's always hard. I'm, I'm thinking back to exactly well, well, where I was. And... Well,
3: basically, but also, like, Rich was only in the band for a very short time, and he left to go away to university and another That's part right. of he the That's right. He went out in, the, out in British Columbia. Yeah. yeah Victoria. So, yeah. so he left, and then we basically had to find Neil, and that whole... Neil kind of joined the band, and that... Well, put...
4: he left in September, or, yeah. or August. We put out that, that EP, first yeah. EP, and then he left, and he... We, I didn't even see him, because he, he, he left for Vancouver, basically, to go to school, and came back at Christmas time, and we decided to play a show at Christmas time. Got it. And I guess f- there was a little bit of hype. We hadn't played any shows. There was a little bit of hype from the EP. We had a really good show at Christmas time. That's when yeah. Bill Bill joined the band yeah. his first show. Right. And then after that, we didn't know what really what to do if we were going to continue or break up. And Rich said, "Well, I'm not coming back. Basically, I'm going to stay out there all summer, and I don't know if I'm going to come back at all. You know, do you want to find somebody else continue the band or not? And I think because." We had all that hype and the christmas show went so well and everything yeah. we decided i'd call my friend neil and get him in the band and uh, uh he came in and learned the songs really
3: quickly and and even had some songs of his own that we yeah. kind of adapted and, it, and worked it on it definitely changed
4: yeah. the band's sound i think because neil came in with uh playing in a, a metal he used to play in a metal band called maharaj and i think more of that metal influence became present uh, and that's kind of where we came more from straight-up kind of an emo, get-up-kids-y sort of band into more like a grade, mm-hmm. more of a metal-influenced yeah. band. And then in 2001, um, I was going to college too, but I remember pretty much you, Paul was booking shows for us every weekend.
2: Yeah,
4: um, and It was just and,
3: insane at that point.
4: And that's what we were doing. So we were doing shows yeah, every you, weekend. You would
3: do two shows a week and then just kind of work around it. Yeah, and, and it yeah. was
4: cool because we were playing every little – every little bar, every little hall, whatever we could play in the the southern Ontario area. Uh, And then we ended up going on a little mini tour out to Eastern Canada with a band called Safeway Home, which were a rad band
3: Really rad band. I w- yeah. wish they'd. Uh, is there anything done like?
2: Did you, did you guys film any of those early shows? Uh, there, those there's stuff. I mean, there's
3: I mean, again, again? like that's like you're, you're talking like eight years ago. Like it wasn't wasn't filmed like the way it is today. And it's right. easily no, like, there were... we have like there's some VHSes you know lying. Around. I actually
4: found a VHS tape before this tour yeah. lying around of that of that Christmas show I just talked about.
2: Oh my God, we're so bad. So uh, I was just wondering, like, how have you seen yourself change on stage as a performer between then and now? It's, like, are there certain things you're like, you're glad you don't do anymore? Like,
3: well, yeah, but back then, I mean, you'd play on the floor with like a ring of kids around you. <laughs> that's how it was. So, I mean, a little different. There, yeah, there was no monitors. There's nothing. You know, <laughs> no. It's true though. I mean, but you didn't have any I habits th- like you know doing something with the mic stand or. My dad I, don't, like, think I, embarrassed I don't think I I just don't think
4: we had any idea what we were and doing. You, <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> get okay. up there, you play
3: five songs, and then your set's done. You'd you'd go, set, you're right. Go hang out. Get the yeah. hell
2: off the stage. Got, yeah, there's ten <laughs> I, other bands One, one thing
4: that did strike me from watching that though was the time in between <laughs> songs was just so long, <laughs> and like people tuning with their amps on, and like there's just no there was no showmanship at all. Really, there there's was no.
2: A, th- th- but that's normal now, isn't it? Like it's not normal now, but. You have to go through that phase where you, where you're just, you know. But I mean, mean, but
4: Paul, shit, you were what? Sixteen. I was sixteen when I joined the band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were all young kids. Like we didn't know really know what we were doing. We're just having
3: fun. I mean, it wasn't like we didn't have to be super serious. There was no record executives coming to these hall shows. You know, it was just like we're just hanging out. But. Even if there were, we wouldn't
4: know what to do. But yeah, we do. wouldn't know I mean, what to
3: do. But I mean, that's the thing. It was it was our friends in the crowd and on stage with us and playing with us and the other bands. It was just, it was something, that was what we did on the weekends.
4: Yeah. But I think back to, to what I knew back then, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a booking agent was. Yeah, I didn't know okay. what a
3: producer was. We, I
4: didn't know anything. I just knew that I liked playing music. So it's funny how much really I have learned in the last, you know.
3: Yeah, it's been a learning experience.
2: There was a, there was a I don't know if it was in New York Times or if it was on Salon.com. It's one of the two, but um, there was a story about a couple months ago about uh, the pressure now to be perfect. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that there is so much um, Pro Tools and Auto Tune and everything else like that that's been forced not only into the studio but into the live set. And so you've got uh, – they're saying that the public is now demanding, because everything is so perfect, that uh, when they go to a show – that they expect the show to be perfect. And so the singer better be right on key and so forth. And so you're seeing a lot of major pop acts using all these extra software applications uh, in, in the sound so that they're never off key. And I think there was that embarrassing thing that happened. Was it Britney or something about the time that she was having those problems a couple of years ago and somebody had a tape of what she actually sounded like on stage, it was off the soundboard and <laughs> yeah, they released yeah. it. I th-
3: yeah, I think it was Britney. Yeah. And how
2: bad she was. Um And so I'm just kind of wondering, like. You know, like, back then, you were talking about saying, like, you know, well, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, and this, and this is natural, but I'm just kind of wondering if a lot of these bands now, the younger bands, are feeling that pressure that they got to do the perfect thing right off the bat, or uh, they're not going to get anywhere. I guess so. I mean,
4: when we started, there was, I didn't even know what autotune was. You yeah. know, I never heard of it. We didn't, you know. Um,
1: but I don't the, know. I,
4: it's tough. I mean, I uh, guess so. I think I think so. I think bands, the standard is higher now. The mm-hmm. standard of, of quality recording is higher uh, just because it's easier to make that now, and it's cheaper, and like you were saying, anyone with a, with a guitar and the internet can can make a band and have a MySpace page and everything, and put their songs instantly for the whole world to hear. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't know. I think I think people have to be careful w- about what they put out too. Mm. You know um, how so? Well, because it's so easy to start. We could start. Three of us could start a band right now. Go in there, record, put it online, and every, the whole world could, world could hear it and we would probably not be very good, you know, uh, and I just think that that, that imp- you know, that imperfection, the the whole perfect mentality is just, I don't know, I think it's overrated, kind of in a sense as yeah. well
3: and, and I mean it's, it's very it's very genre specific I mean there's certain genres that I think have kind of latched onto the imperfections of certain recordings like not using the auto-tune using vintage equipment not right. not not doing as many overdubs and some of those records nowadays that are coming out are incredible because they have that kind of like flavor to it you know what I mean as opposed to some other bands that are like you know redoing every little thing to be perfect so I, yeah. I I mean I think it's an interesting time for music because some people are trying to overproduce while some people are trying to under produced well
4: uh, kings of leon which i'm not a huge fan of the band but i don't think there's any autotune on that record yeah mm. and that's something that people have really embraced you know mainstream people that probably there's people that listen to britney spears that listen to kings of leon now that's mm-hmm. how it's gotten and yeah and that's a really interesting example of maybe not the most perfect band and under kind of an underproduced band
2: but do you guys feel uh, that you guys are getting, you feel a little maybe either doing it yourself or maybe a little bit of audience or industry pressure to take your, every time you go out on the road, you got to take it to another level as much as, I mean, not necessarily but, your. But, you know yeah, I but I,
3: th- I think that's also fan-driven too because it's like, you know, the fans are the one come to the show, it's like, let's play a different selection of songs, let's arrange them differently, let's have a, some different kind of production and, and present it in a different way to them because they're the ones that are coming out.
4: Yeah, I yeah. think there is a bit of pressure. Pressure, though, I think you're right. Really? Because we, we, well, we want to, we want to put on a good show. We don't want kids to be disappointed, you know. So, like, we bring lights and we bring, you know, um, whatever production we can to make our show good, and that's important to us because we want to put on a good show. We want kids that are paying, you know, eighteen bucks for the show to feel like they got their money's worth. So, I think there is some pressure. I guess you want to, you want to kind of outdo yourself every time. I mean. You don't want you don't want to be like
3: oh well they were better last time. Yeah, well yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? But it, but it's it's cool and it, and it's it's gratifying when the kid comes up and is like man that was the best show I'd ever seen you play and like that's ultimately I think what you want to do and I had a kid like say that last night I'm like really like you honestly think that he said like yeah like I really enjoyed it and you're like well that you know it's it's gratifying to see that because you know we tried to make it different this time you know we we tried to make it special and and now we have these new songs as well and it's it's just yeah. it's important to us.
2: You know, one thing I've always wondered is is if you guys are on a stage and you got maybe two or three songs in, and you can just tell that what you just did the night before in Pittsburgh is not going to work tonight. The audience, for whatever reason, you know, this is something they, people in the theaters say their Friday night crowds are the worst to perform in front of, like for stage shows and stuff, because they're all, they were all working all day and they're all tired, so they don't want to be sitting there. So Saturday night crowds are always better. So for you guys, if you can kind of tell that you need to shake up the lineup of the songs, set list, or how you're doing it, or you need to ramp it up a little bit? Is there signals you guys to get to each other, or is it literally just one of you guys goes up to the other one and says, I mean, bang, we got to do something?
4: Mm, we generally just go with it. I think yeah. there's sometimes there's, there's times when you're right that we'll get out there, and we'll start the first song, and I can just tell that the connection is maybe not as good as it, it should be. And sometimes I'll just straight up be like, you, you know, I've seen you do better, you know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, whatever.
3: And it's time. Let's do this. You he, know, he and really, yeah, it's the Midwest. Like, there's there a way. Kind of <laughs> 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 yeah, but there's that, there's that certain energy you can kind of, and we all kind of feel, I think we have that kind of chemistry now. Where we, when the kids aren't giving it, we'll we'll push it on them harder. In our own physical performance, the way that we're interacting on stage, and we'll ramp it up like that for them, you know what no, I mean? Uh, well,
4: it's, a, it's amazing that I'll walk out there and I'll say, like, what the fuck? I'll like look pissed. I'll I'll like I mean I I'm not as mad as I'll seem, but kids will be like, Oh shit, yeah, we what yeah, what, we are here. We need to have it. We're here to have yeah. a good time. Yeah, we're tired, but we gotta push it and that works. It really does work. So it's amazing how, how uh how different crowds will respond though to different things. Even some song you'll play one night, everyone will be singing, and then the next night people look bored. It's just bizarre and I never thought about the Friday night saturday thing well that's i mean I wonder, is
2: it is it, do you, is there any sort of can you guys see the sort of pattern in any of that you know it's like um, you know have you guys seen certain parts of the country certain cities are always harder to get excited or get or maybe are really routed rowdy up routed that's a good one i'll get emails about that one um <laughs> or a bit of really rowdy or they're really aggressive or oh i think so
4: yeah i mean definitely uh, like Northern California is notorious for being mellow. San Francisco crowds are always just Portland, Portland, same Portland thing. yeah. yeah. They're Bring just, the pillows, they're, okay? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. and uh, whereas uh, Southern California, they're crazy, they're insane. Yeah, uh, and New York, they're pretty insane too. People are pretty passionate. Like there. Long
3: Island for the, for this tour is one of the most yep. wild shows. Really, of the tour. Um, so I mean,
4: but it does depend. Like it, it's not every time you you roll through a city you'll get the same thing. But what about overseas? Overseas, uh, I think... It depends on the
3: city and, and, uh, um, like, like Amsterdam's a bit of a. They're sleeper, mellow, really mellow. But there. I mean, you can kind of put two and two together there. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, in a very
2: stereotypical way. But yes, no, no, you but, can. but
3: it kind of is. I mean, but also, like, they're, I think those people, you know, they're, they're a bit more mellow overall. But you go to Germany, uh, when we're, we're doing both in a couple weeks. I mean, Germany, they're just, you know, they're, they're drinking beer. They're getting, getting rowdy. There. They can't wait for you to go on and then they're just going to go nuts. Like, and they're going to, yeah, because they're there to have a good time. Like, those people have a, good time regardless of (laughs) what they're doing it's true it's it's
4: amazing though i I find that in europe um people listen more and japan too they're really listening and every like you can kind of watch someone's eyes following your every note you know like that you're saying and every word you're saying and it's it's very like you feel like you kind of have a microscope on you a lot more than um than in the states where People are just waiting there, like waiting for that heavy part, waiting to <laughs> swing their arms or something. You know, they're not they're not listening <laughs> as much as they're kind of taking in the whole surroundings. You know, they're focusing on the whole room, whereas whereas in Europe they really seem to be focusing on the stage and the band.
2: It's very interesting. I think they listen more. You know, well, one of the things I always kinda of wondered for for bands is is if you've noticed that uh let's keep the same idea for regionalism or cities or something like that. Have you found that a certain records of yours are more popular? Like older material is more popular in certain areas than in uh, than overall. You know, like you kind of just go someplace and you play something off of, you know, uh you, you know, one of the early records and then you and it's just boom, but you try and play anything within the past, I don't know, couple of records and they just don't like it. They all want this, or maybe the people like the new stuff and they hate the old stuff or sometimes. Yeah. I, I
4: can't again I can't say, Oh, this city's like this and this yeah. is yeah, like yeah. that, but uh I have noticed that for sure. Like certain shows, I'll be like, "Okay, here, here comes here comes another old song. They're not going to know it, you know." And then we'll play something from the last record, and yeah. it'll be like crazy. So I find that actually more the case than than the other way around. I find people are generally know the new songs uh, almost maybe even better than than the old ones sometimes. Do you
2: feel like you're on a second generation of Silverstein fans now, or a third?
3: <sighs>
2: I don't
4: know. That's again, it's weird. We we played um a show in San Francisco and I was just told you about how mellow they are. I swear, every kid there was over 25. Yeah. There were no kids, like no kid kids, you know? And I couldn't believe it and and I think...
3: And, and so and some of those kids, or not kids, but people came up to me and said that they've seen us before and so like, you know, maybe that is one generation, maybe there is a second generation of the younger kids, maybe those are the ones that don't know our older material yeah, as much, but Maybe they just
4: didn't show up that night. I mean, yeah. I think right now too with the economy, um, I think, you know, kids aren't, little kids that get their money from their parents they just aren't getting you know 40 bucks to go to a show and buy a t-shirt anymore Mm. and i think maybe that's why we've seen a lot of older crowds on this tour you know which is maybe the first generation of silverstein fans coming out as opposed to the second and maybe even third generation
3: but i mean it's it's strange too because you know it's been six years since we released our first record so if, if somebody was you know 15 then they're 21 now you know and it and it's it's you know we've we've all grown up and sometimes we don't feel like we have you know it kind of feels like it's it stayed the same for us but
2: it's like where you start doing tours and you're the oldest guys on the tour
3: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a realization
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, we take two music breaks uh, and uh, I usually request you to each one of you pick one song one artist it could be any song any artist um, and uh, let me just kind of uh, paint the scenario um if there was one song or uh that you think would you could sit there and and i know this may be a little bit tougher but uh because i'm really narrowing it but (laughs) if you can find you can figure maybe there's one song that really influenced your style from when you know the earlier days when you were in high school like that one song for whatever reason maybe motivated you to want to be in a band or it was like that I think there was a quote one time, Shane, that was like that you talked about, you know, no, it was Paul that you said you just wanted to be a musician. That's what you wanted to be. You want to be in a rock band, and uh, and so, like, is there that one song that's just like, oh yeah, that's if it was in a way that was your anthem?
5: <laughs>
3: well, okay, okay. Uh, really narrow. Uh, no, but uh, I mean, uh, if, if you want to go,
2: I think for me, for me,
4: it would be uh, the first, the first song on the great Under the Radar record. Ah. It's called uh, "The Inefficiency of Emotion." Is that what you were gonna say? Well,
3: yeah, I was gonna oh, at least pick something. I mean, that that, that, yeah. that song is just That's okay. We can do the same record. It's fine.
4: That, that song, you, know, you, you,
3: you you can
4: do your own thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, that that for some reason that song really always struck a chord with me, and it had all these different elements of of different bands that I liked. But at the same time, since there was a band from my hometown, and I knew them, and it was like these are just these are just guys from like down the street. If they can do it, I can do it. So it was very motivating when I heard that record. I loved it so much, and it was like, you know, if they can do it, so can I.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I it's and it's amazing to just to add on to that that a band from our hometown really influenced us the most. And I mean, but I think you know, and I I totally believe that if Grade was from anywhere around the world, and we would have heard that record, I, I mean, at least personally, and probably Shane would agree, they would have struck that same chord with us. You know, influenced us and and kind of raised that passion. I mean, and we still all of us get together, you know, whether it's in the van or whatever, and listen to that record and sing along, and like still feel that same emotion behind it. And it's just incredible that a local Burlington band did that for us, you hmm. know, and really helped, I think, shape our career a little bit.
2: So what about which song for you?
3: Um, he picked I picked the first one. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, I'd, I'd say for me maybe as a personal musician or something that really kind of got me into drumming and stuff would probably be like "Share Brock by Smashing Pumpkins mm. okay. or, or anything off that record, but that re- that song maybe specifically almost. You know, I remember being in high school and you know, kind of like, you know, really being kind of consumed by that band and a little bit to, to at least play drums, you know. A rock
0: band the from
2: <laughs> um. Speaking of grade, speaking of grade, uh, the story is that the drummer grade was the guy that actually called up Victory and said, "Hey, yeah, that's yes, true. true,
4: That's one hundred percent." true. Yeah, yeah. Because, okay.
3: okay. well, um, I mean, he uh, he wasn't like the original drummer, but he was former more, drummer. Yeah yeah, 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 But he uh, he you know was was a good friend of all of ours, and and I think we had the closest connection to him at the time. Well, in, the, well, the, the story. Did you hear the whole Avril Lavigne story? Have you heard that whole part of the story? Well, I know
2: you guys did something in Japan oh, no no her. this is this is a good we don't one. talk about oh, that no, then I, right, okay. oh, you don't talk about the Japanese, <laughs> oh, two I'm weeks in kidding. japan hey 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 it
4: was a good it was a fun it's tour. on tmz it someplace right. <laughs> <laughs> well what happened was um, um, grade broke up and um, uh, my friend charles who played drums was kind of looking for a band and and we're pretty close friends and um, i was playing bass in this band called the livid it's okay. a it's a kind of an alt rock band, um, Cree covers and stuff. Which, or... <laughs> no, well, it was not that. Bad. <laughs> but uh, it was it was very it was very radio rock, new metal driven. It was kind of yeah. It was. Did he have a mask? And, a mask? Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Anyways, uh, it was a friend of mine's band, still my best friend. Um, uh, and they good band. I was just kind of filling in on bass. They needed somebody to fill in. So then, I was in the band for for a few months, and then Atlantic Records started calling, and Warner Brothers started calling. You guys solicited, right? You guys sent out. We well, yeah. Some I don't exactly know how it worked, but someone heard something, and we had a lawyer that was from L.A. It was like a really legit kind of thing. So we were getting these contracts and everything, and um, it actually ended up all kind of falling apart. And at the same time, I was in Silverstein at this time, and it all was kind of falling apart. And um, um, but through that. I met a lot of um industry Canadian industry people and uh when the when the whole thing fell apart I got a call from Avril Lavigne's management saying um saying well there's a spot in in Avril Lavigne's band would you like to play bass you have the right look right <laughs> look the right look, <laughs> the right look. I was like oh that's why you want me okay well uh so I said wow you know um you know kind of thanks thanks but no thanks uh I guess, but I got this friend <laughs> and he, you know, he's got touring experience and whatever. So I called my friend, my friend Charles and said, Hey, like, would you be interested in doing this? So the same phone conversation, um, Charles asked me how Silverstein was going, and I said, Oh yeah, we we just finished this this like new demo and we sent out some CDs and and he's like, Well, did you send one to Victory? I go, Yeah, we sent one to victory, but we're not really expecting, you know, a big label like that to to like us, and Charles was like, "Well, I'll just call him up. I'll call them up. I, I won't say you know you guys are good or bad. I'll just, I'll just make sure they listen to because they get a lot of stuff." And literally, forty eight hours after that, well, we are sitting in Toronto with Tony from Victory Records yeah, but, having but breakfast. Also,
3: also, meanwhile, on that time, I'm working my summer job, and I'm coming home for lunch every day. You know, making making a little sandwich, and I get a phone call, and they ask for me, and I'm like, "Well, who is it?" And it's like, "Oh, hey, it's Tony Victory." And I'm like, oh, I guess you listen to the music. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird because we sent we sent it out th- like the day
4: I just happened to be yeah. talking to Charles, and then 48 hours later, they had we were sitting with them. I don't even know how they got the the CD so fast. Yeah, it was a really weird situation. Service. And then, yeah. and then um, Charles ended up playing in Avril Lavigne for for a few years. So y- it was kind y- of a you cool didn't have little... at least
2: 24 hours, Shane, of sitting there thinking, you know, I could you know the money <laughs> playing with Avril Lavigne at the time. I was just so, I was so punk rock though, man. <laughs> I,
4: I, I, it was a- I like really cared, you know, I really cared about that. I wouldn't play music I didn't love, you know, I mean, I say that and then I was, and then I'm kind of like, well, that's a little weird to say cause I was playing in an alt rock band, but that was, <laughs> but uh, it was also your friend, and but it, it was, was my friend yeah. and I actually did like the band at, yeah. you know, in they, a way. They, they actually weren't, it wasn't, but I, it couldn't it wasn't have stepped, metal. I couldn't have stepped into a situation like that. I couldn't have done it. I didn't even consider it. That's
2: always, you know, that's always one of those things in life, that the hardest parts in life is, is you never prepare for them. There's those forks in the road. Yeah. And you got to sit there and make a decision. It was a hard decision. could be lucrative, you know, well, not, yeah. really, not necessarily, but it could t- could make you do some things that maybe you weren't planning on doing, but could provide some stability in some format. Mm. Yeah. It is weird, though, because I think, you know, I was saying
4: earlier how I never thought I would ever get the chance of being in a band or playing music, which is why I went to school and everything. And now I'm thinking about it. It's kind of a weird realization. I guess I've really had three chances, kind of, at this. You know, with I guess with Avril Lavigne and with now with Silverstein, and with that old alt, alt rock band too. That we probably could have made something happen. So it is weird how that happens because it's hard to be a successful musician, but I guess it happens. Well, that we record
2: are. when broken is easily fixed. 2003. Uh, I mean, that's it's got a couple of different things that are note about it. I mean, that's obviously your first uh, couple of now themes with giving up, Uh, and uh, the smash into pieces song was uh, was used in that American Idol audition thing that got you a lot of notoriety, and all the scene, kids were like, oh my God, you know, American Idol's cool (laughs) for one night. Uh, Sold a crap load of records. Uh, I think it's about 275 now, or close to three at this point. Um, 300,000. Lots of touring. Um, Again, did really, really well, and then for, like, between the next couple of years, it was just tour, 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 tour. Um, yeah, you had the, um, uh, you guys were on the tour with the Bayside accident, unfortunately, in 2005. Uh, and then you walked into, uh, 2000 and, uh, well, about August, 2005, Discovery and the Waterfront comes out. And, um, uh, how were you guys changing as a band during this whole time period? I mean, obviously this is like, there's a lot of hype on you and everybody's all the press around you and, you know, uh, and you know, did you guys find like, what were some struggles you guys were having to adjust to now? I mean, you weren't just... The guys from Canada, you guys were now seeing stars. You know what I mean? I think we didn't even notice. Really, to be honest.
3: It, it was we, so crazy because literally we were taking any tour we could get, as many shows. Like we were playing like two hundred plus shows a year. We never. At least.
4: We I think we never turned down a, t- a tour or anything. Really, everything just kind of worked out. Yeah, we never canceled know? like anything. We never canceled. We never do. We, we just did it. It was like really, really strange when i think back because yeah. we didn't realize th- the level we were at i think we really just did it and then kind of at some point everything sort of stopped and we were like oh my god we are look holy shit we've sold half a million records or something you know it was a weird it was a weird time and and i think it's part of the reason that i think we've stayed together as this you know the same members in the band is because we were on tour so much you know and we were just were doing our own thing and i don't think we it ever really hit us that that we were making this this impact you know? It was cool. Every time we rolled through the sh- through the town, there'd be more and more kids there. It was it was cool, but we never really... I don't know. I don't think it ever really patted our egos or anything.
2: You know, I, I was kind of... Maybe I'm overthinking this, but uh, you know, uh, online, especially online and with fans, they start to create an identity for you. Some of it's based upon a stereotype or, uh, or a kind of behavior pattern that you may do or something like that. And so, I'm kind of wondering, like, after a while, did you find yourself um, subconsciously trying to fit the image that some of your fans had for you
3: i don't know i think i think the one thing about our band is we didn't really have much of an image you know what i mean like like you know certain bands are like oh they're they're the band that wears all white on stage or they're the (laughs) band that right straightens their hair impeccably the entire band but you know we have almost each of us i think our image is that each one of us is kind of different to almost to an extreme, you know what I mean.
4: Well, that's the thing we we've never talked we don't fit about. A, um, yeah. We've never talked about. I know some bands have like rules, like they don't wear shorts on stage, <laughs> or something, or they won't wear like a certain band shirt or something. We never had any rules. We never talked about. Oh, you wear this, you wear this. The only thing is like, oh, you're wearing a red shirt today. Okay, maybe I shouldn't shouldn't wear a red shirt today. You know, it was just stuff like that. We never ever had rules. We never said we're doing a photo shoot. You better straighten yeah. your hair or anything like that. You know, there was nothing ever like that. We and I think what what you said is an interesting question because I mean, yeah, we I think we do look more like rock guys now than we did when we started. Um and I think that that just sort of happens. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you, you But is you, that who you, you
2: are or is that conforming?
4: It's I think it's who we are. Yeah. I think okay. it's it's we've become that because you know, you you do tours and you hang out with people and you meet people and you just sort of, oh, that's a cool shirt, you know, or I like that guy's haircut, you know, that's just how everything is. That's how fa- that's kind of how fashion is. Because you see
2: a brand new band get on web tour. and By the end of the tour, they've got 30 percent more tattoos yeah. and their hair's different and they're wearing different clothes and everything. So did they did they just find their home or did they conform to fit in with the crowd? Sure. That's Well, me and but Paul but don't have any tattoos. Yeah, Well, well, <laughs> well three, so.
3: three out of the five members of our band have no tattoos. You know what I mean? Uh, I, mean, I, mean, yeah. and, I mean our one guitar player has curly hair I mean it doesn't you know it's just like <laughs> it is just. It is what it is our, I our, forgot
2: that was a scene roll, no curly, no curly I, I hair I don't know but <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean it's just like that's why know. Joe Troman's
3: out got <laughs> it <laughs> but it's it's uh i mean I, th- I think all of our differences make make us who we are and make make us silverstein i think that's mm. that's an important thing and i think if we were f- five clones of the same person on stage you know people wouldn't be able to relate to us because there is that one person that might pick out an individual of us that can relate to one of us specifically and i think that's important
4: i think mm. a big thing too is that all five of us are in different things too you know we've got two straight edge guys we've got two definitely not straight edge guys <laughs> You know, we've got guys that are very into, you know, um, hardcore, the hardcore scene and and that kind of thing. And we've got guys that really, really just don't really care, you know. So Mm. I think that that, if we were all into the same things all the time, I think it would be a lot more conflict. But I think because we're different, we get along better.
3: Yeah, I I think the only thing that like you you talk about, you know, like maybe going on tour and like conforming to something i think all going on tour and being around each other we've all kind of found our own things mm. you know we kind of have all like and it's interesting because when when you have a member that's really into something they bring it back because we all talk and we all talk about what we're into and you actually learn a lot more when each of us are going out into the world and learning and discovering different things and it all influences us a, a lot more and i think that's why even our music kind of ranges a, a wide spectrum because all of us mm. have so many influences that come together as one
2: is there a mom and a dad in the band
3: you know what I mean? Probably me
4: and you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like the one who cares a lot, and the other one is uh, this is like the more the enforcer, or you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, the one that goes around and says this place the pigsty, What the what the fuck?
4: Yeah. I don't know. I think well, <laughs> you if you guys anything, don't want to take ownership, anything, to the either one of those. I'm I'm I the got oldest. It. I mean, I'm the oldest in the band, and I'm not I'm not the oldest. You're only a <laughs> older. You're older than him, isn't it, I am two, two, two years. Old. Okay. Yeah. Two years. Hey. So not okay. not a big thing, but it yeah. is a big thing when you're when I'm 18 or 19 and. Paul's fifteen or sixteen—that's a big age difference. You know, when you're when you're twenty-seven, twenty-eight, it doesn't matter right, as much. But yeah. when you're when you're younger, older, you know, it's oh my god, he's one so great older than brother me. to him. So, a lot? I, well, maybe not to him, but but kind of to the band, I think. And yeah, and I think my band was the one that had the most experience um, before. Uh, and I'm a bit of a control freak to begin with, so <laughs> we we do have this, this sort of thing where Paul does a lot of the work. You know, and then at the end of the day, I kind of get everything kind of run past me. Yeah, the run you know, I kind of
3: the briefing. Yeah, I kind of the briefing. the, uh, the guy. The president. That, yeah.
4: yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that yeah. in a weird in a weird way. Hmm. So,
2: I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Delegation. That's the secret. <laughs> um, you know, it, the 2007 was when arrivals and departures came out, and um, it seems uh, it, in uh, AP number 246, uh, Shane, you said it was an awful, awful experience. Um, and you kind of, even though you had done some of the previous records in California, yeah. right? Yeah. You, yeah for a couple different stories. Discovering, stu- stu- discovering stu- yeah. Yeah, but the, 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 what was described was is that, uh, you felt like you, you wanted to go to California to, for this particular, uh, pr- pr- production to focus, and get away from the distractions, but instead you guys came out of it feeling that all you were were distracted. Yeah. And it was, so what, if I was the, the editor on this particular story, I would have been asking how how was it an awful experience? Well, um, because you were working with Mark Trembino, who's you know big time producer. He did a lot of big time producer.
4: Well, Mark really wasn't there for that record. I mean, he he um, I've talked to him about. He he got mad at me about what I said. Oh, you know, wonderful! He, he like called we're he like, called me pretty much uh, called me out straight out about it, and I explained it to him, wonderful. and I said, look, like hey, you're gonna get another phone call now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't I don't Mark, care. It's my I, fault. I'm just gonna be I'm honest. I'm just asking about, about it. it. You know, I'm gonna be honest, and and we me and Mark were both going through rough times he was coming Mm -hmm. out of like the end of a 12-year relationship or something Mm -hmm. i was coming out of an end of a seven-year relationship and i think he he really just wasn't in it you know he he was late it happens he was late a lot of times you know he wouldn't stay late um you know it, it just we just didn't really have that that brotherhood that we had like with cameron when we did that other record in california And also, I think, making the record in California the first time, we'd only actually toured out to California once before, or twice before. And uh, we didn't know that many people. And we were in Orange County, but then the second time we were in L.A., like in Hollywood, there were these parties every night. We had all these friends that would just come by our apartment and like hang out and bring beer over and stuff. So that was very distracting. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then pretty much straight up with the record, we ran out of time on it. You know, we, we didn't put enough time into it early on. We, w- we you know, wasted time, and, and Mark wouldn't stay late to finish stuff. Uh, we weren't working on the weekends at all. And uh, ran out of time, and the last week or so was the most stressful week of my entire life, for sure. Hmm. Because I was so worried about the record. I had not, wasn't happy with my vocals. I, I wanted to redo a bunch of stuff. I ended up doing all the screaming for that record in one day. Whoa. So, I mean, it was it was a really, really... Like, I look back at it, and it was an awful experience. I really did not enjoy making that record.
2: Hmm.
4: And I think, I think for, for some the, reason, that's the record people aren't that into now. And it it's, debuted
2: so high, though. It, it like, did
4: well. And I don't know, maybe that was because um, a lot of people liked the record before and just were excited. Yeah. And the record actually ended up doing okay. I think there's some good songs on it, for sure. But I think production-wise, I think we, we went... We took a wrong approach. We went for more of a stripped down rock record, you know, like a Foo Fighters kind of record where we needed to go with a slicker, you know, more uh, more produced record, I think, which is what we did with the new one. So,
2: right. Because you went back to Ontario, brought Camera Web back in. Yeah. Yeah
4: and we tried to just correct all the mistakes we would made
3: but but we also we never really done this like with like we took cameron out of his element so all he wanted to do was work and he was working you know 10 hours a day with us in the studio and two hours at night on extra stuff and then it's the wintertime, so we have nothing better to do than be at the studio and focus yeah. and have no distractions. But we still had the comfort of home, so you could go home at night, clear your mind, yeah. and go in the next morning and yeah. do a good job. Just out of
2: curiosity, what about—two uh, two questions, because I'll better forget the second one. Um, the first one is, is, what about L.A. is distracting when you're out there recording? I mean, it, that's like probably every musician's dream is, I'm going to—just so they can say it. It's like that and working in Hendrix, Hendrix's studio in New York. <laughs> it's like, I want to say that I've done it. And but what about LA? Is is there anything about that town that's just you've got rules of thumb that you have to know as a musician going out there for the first time to record? There's just so much going on. Well, yeah, like every every night, parties, you're getting invited to shows together every night.
4: There's yeah. like all someone will call you, someone town. yeah, they're rolling through town, let's come out to the show and you I mean you wanna see them, so you'll go out and then next thing you know, there's some party and it's just it's a crazy town for, for entertainment for sure. You know, and I think that that's all really all it is.
3: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah.
2: That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's right, well, basically it. That yeah. one's done. I'm um, <laughs> to cross that one off. Uh, you know, I, one of the uh, questions before we talk about a shipwreck in the sand, um, and then I want to do another music break, then a couple more questions, to wrap this up. Um, relationships. Being a musician. Uh, Shane, you were, uh, as you said, you were in a seven year relationship through Crux to the band. And um, I know that um, you you were engaged. To a woman yeah. in England, a yeah. girl in England, uh, for a while. How long was uh, uh, how long was that? Was it a long term relationship or was it?
3: The whole thing was about a year. About a year before it. Fell so apart. it's
2: difficult being a traveling musician and having a relationship. I think period. Uh, and I've talking to musicians um, privately. It's uh, there's there's a lot of struggle with trust, as well as um, dealing uh, what I call the Jolson story effect, which is. The movie, the, uh, the Jolson story from 46. Basically, the, the it, it wasn't necessarily entirely true, but the the, con, the plot was that he, big popular entertainer, finally met a woman. She was a homebody. She wanted him to stay home, so he gave up everything for her so he could stay home and be in love. Ended up being really sad and depressed, and he goes out to a club nightclub one night just for a thing. They spot him in the audience. They pull him up on stage. He blows up all over again, and his wife dumps him. So... You know, do you, if, are there kind of rules of thumb that maybe um, advice you could provide to other musicians about how to deal with a relationship on the road um, in these sorts of situations? And, and I'm not trying to pry into your personal lives. I'm no, just kind of wondering. I, I about think you it. have to be
4: completely honest and straight up with your
2: significant other about everything,
4: every little mm-hmm. detail. Because it, so many times, you know, you meet so many people, and, and what, with what we do, it's like Saturday night every night. It's like the craziest Saturday night of your life every night. Right. And there's always, you know, girls around and things like that. And if, you know, a lot of times something will be said and it'll get passed on and, and the, the tiniest little encounter with someone you know just even oh hey you know nice yeah. talking to you can tur- can blow up into this big thing and oh who's this girl and you why didn't you tell me about this
3: and, and the so internet's infamous for distorting a lot of that
4: stuff yeah and i think that that's the My biggest thing myspace comments the biggest yeah. thing <laughs> yeah i mean it's well, that's yeah. the thing
3: yeah it, it, i think trust is the ultimate thing and it, it takes the the right combination of people to make any relationship work and I mean, there's a lot of jobs where, where people are on the road and away from their significant other, but, you know, it's a lot of balance. It's a lot of communication a lot of trust, mm-hmm. just like any relationship, but almost, you know, enforced to a higher degree. It's like, you know, you got to make sure to to kind of always be on top of those things.
2: I've noticed some musicians won't even say publicly and they won't, they won't talk about it a lot. They really downplay that they're married because, and I'll talk to them and they'll be like, well, because I need the crowd, the girls in the crowd to you think in their head, for at least that show, I'm single and available. I don't know. It's it seems like rock star yeah. crap to me. <laughs> I, I, I don't
4: I don't think I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm up there <laughs> and I'm myself <laughs> and I you know I don't know. But you I know what I mean. It's not
3: We're not we're not Brett Michaels. We're not filming <laughs> the VH one show here, okay? So I mean if we were then yes we would pretend whatever.
4: <laughs> yeah. That's um, an interesting point and it's something that I've heard people say as well, you know, and I've I guess I've thought about it in some some respect, but like,
3: it, it wouldn't change change what I I'm not married, so hey. Yeah, I was thinking none of us are married. So. <laughs> there you go. The fans, the fans know. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever.
2: I mean, it is interesting what you like. You know, it's that perception reality thing, and that kind of uh you know how how honest do you get with your fan base and stuff you know it's like well it's
3: how much do you let them in right and like what? right exactly cuz yeah. i mean i mean obviously I maybe mean, don't want to give everything away but i mean you know, I, I think nowadays it's kind of important to relate to some of the musicians. You don't need to be on that pedestal. You don't need to be like poison. You know, it's not. I mean, we're we're real, we're a bunch of Canadians here. We're not. Like, we're we're not. <laughs> we're not from the Sunset Strip. You know, okay, huh? I got
2: it. Okay, um, so second song break, um, and let's talk about uh, one song from your 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 library of music, and then one song off of the new record. Um, the one from the library. What is the one song that you guys think is most misunderstood by your fans? They think it's about this and it's actually about that. Mm. Ooh. I don't know. <sighs> That's, um,
4: well, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is uh, is probably my heroine because it's... Uh, people think it's it's about drugs, you know, or about me, my drug drug addicted past or something and I've had people literally emailing me and saying, "Oh, like oh, I know I'm I'm having this like struggle like I'm I'm addicted to drugs and I know you went through the same thing and stuff and it's almost hard to say, well, I didn't, you know, but um but this song is not about drugs. So that's probably the most
2: you so know? for the record for those ad- so they don't have to go on the internet and look up what the real answer is. What is it? Well, the song
4: is about a relationship and and when you're so immersed in somebody um and, and that you feel like you're, you know, addicted to them like you're addicted to a hard drug, I guess. So I don't know, you have to kind of read the lyrics to really get the the double meaning with the heroin
2: and heroin, but some people think it's just a drug song. And the one off the new record is the one that has changed the most since you guys, uh, like it went in in one version and it came out a totally different version than what you expected it to be. I think uh, you're all
4: I have. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say really? the same
3: thing, yeah. Uh,
2: because that,
4: that song, everything changed about it. The chorus is different. Um, we, well, yeah, we
3: kind of walked into pre-production with it. And then with Cameron, he kind of pushed us and we redid a bunch of things. And even right through the tracking, we were adding and taking away elements to that song that really shaped it, I think.
4: And so many vocals were added and just kind of put everywhere, which, which it's a very interesting song. When you, if, I wish we had a demo version of something we could, yeah. we could <laughs> compare them, because they're a lot different. Yeah,
2: and You guys took the kazoo out, didn't you? The kazoo <laughs> came out? Yeah, I got it.
0: The <laughs> truck Come
2: Industry, are you guys scared at all? S-
3: yeah, scared. Well, I'm gonna I to say I,
2: pretty much, yeah.
3: I think it's, it's hard. It's hard not to be scared, no matter what you're doing right now, in in the world. And I don't know.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with that too. But I I think so because records aren't selling. I think record labels made a big mistake when they started selling singles for ninety nine cents or a dollar twenty nine now or whatever it is. I think that was a big error because now you're getting a dollar instead of twelve ninety nine for, you know, selling. Because, you know, it's always been single-driven. Major labels always only had one good song. And I think that now major labels are hurting so much that they're not going to take any chances on, on cool bands, you know, or, or bands that actually might influence a generation, you know. And I remember there being bands that would sign to major labels when I was a kid. Uh, I mean, the first real punk rock record I ever bought was... Bad Religion, Stranger Than Fiction, which was on Atlantic. Mm. And I heard about it because it was on a major label and they had that outlet, you know. And I know that things have changed, but I think now they're not going to be taking any chances on bands like Bad Religion anymore because they just can't. You know, they can't take any chances. So I think that's one scary thing.
2: Do you guys feel that your ability to be successful in the way that you originally imagined yourself to be, like, hall when you were like i want to be a musician is that that dream's gone now it's inachievable unachievable i'll get another email
3: (laughs) (laughs) um i i I think i think it's achievable uh i I just you know there's there's some there's new ways of doing things i mean it's a lot different like if we would have approached things the same way we did you know nine years ago it probably wouldn't be there's there's different ways of doing things now a lot of mediums have changed i don't know it's you know, but but I mean, there's there's still great new bands that are coming out um, out of nowhere that are on their first record. They're just about to release and creating amazing music. And, you know, some people are recognizing some of them. I, you know, I think we've seen a lot of great success with bands like, you know, Gaslight Anthem and now I think Polar Bear Club's kind of a next right. kind of band that's, you know, that's got people talking. I mean, they got people in the industry talking, they got people, the fans talking. And and there's outside of that, too, there's a lot of great records and... Um, I know if anything, maybe it's going to make kids more competitive and maybe maybe it's going to be like our scene growing up and and bands that are going to have to strive to do things a little bit harder and and rethink a few things than just, you know, releasing their garage band demo on MySpace the same day they recorded it.
2: Have you guys had to rethink some things? Your like your procedure, the way that you operate as a band or as you or the way that you uh, go out on tour or maybe the way that you even communicate with fans?
3: Well, I mean, I think other than like, kind of embracing some new technologies and stuff like that and, and just trying to stay ahead of the curve, but you know, like we said, we we didn't know much going into this, and it's been a learning process. So I think every day we're like, maybe we, maybe we should try this, or this is, could be a cool opportunity to, to, to relate with what we're doing, and that, that's been a very important thing. I think we're for... a lot
4: more calculated now, too, with what really? we do. I think we think things through a little bit more than we used to. We used to just kind of do it and not think about... It because i think we didn't think we didn't really realize people were listening or caring you know we were just kind of like okay here it is whatever and and now we're like okay we're going to do this and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to see this and next time i do an interview they're going to ask me so you know like i think those things come up now too
3: hmm.
2: do you uh, do you guys have a twitter account
3: yeah, yeah. we yeah. put per- personal and band and yeah.
2: and and uh do you guys like it, or do you do you enjoy doing it? Or? I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, I, th- I think the simplicity
3: yeah. of it and and the the ease and and the speed of it all is just it's really good. I think you know, like I I use it to 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 read certain news and stuff like that, as well as to you know keep up with some friends of mine. And I think it's great too to also promote things that you're doing to fans or to friends. And
4: yeah, I, I I signed up for it originally almost as a joke. I was like, this is the got to be the dumbest thing ever created and then signed up for it, and I was, you know, I think it was, this was right when Twitter was, like, there was, like, nobody on it, yeah. and it was just, like, the five of us on the bus, we were Twittering from back and forth (laughs) forth (laughs) to each other on the bus, just writing, like, that was early, that was early days, yeah, (laughs) and, uh, and then after a while, you start to realize, like, this is pretty cool, and, 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 like, Facebook, which is similar in a lot of ways, there's just too much going on, you know, there's, there's, yeah, with all those, like, apps they have now and stuff, and. And I love the simplicity of Twitter. we did actually did we were at victory yesterday. we did a a twitter uh
3: live chat that's, live right, chat, that's yeah. right that's right it was right. like we, we kind of got thrown into it. it. was our first time doing something like that, but it was amazing just to... Because you know you're responding to kids, but it also it's it's feeding to anybody that's following you, so these kids are are reading it and getting all these responses about stuff that maybe they're interested in or uh, that they might not have thought of before, so that was kind of cool to see
2: It'd be interesting to see how it changes the way um I'm kind of thinking of uh those musicians because it, uh that maybe need more feedback, positive feedback when um things get bad. And so now they've got constant like they basically have, you know, in some cases fifteen thousand followers, fans that sit there and tell them, Don't worry about it if this got screwed up or the record didn't sell or this you well, well, screwed up on the stage. I still love you as a fan. And so their their insecurities will maybe less um, happenstance to completely fall apart and so forth. That's a, that's interesting. I'll, I'll look a look at it. I yeah,
4: think. I, mean, I, mean, I, I well,
3: well, one thing we did was like you know our our album went up for stream on MySpace before it came out, and basically our whole entire fan base got to hear it before they could even purchase it. And it was a decision, you know, we we were kind of on the fence about, but we're like, why not? We I'm never tried it before, that before, and, and we were pretty excited. And then I went on the Twitter account. I'm like, go listen and email us. What you think, and we have an email account set up where you send one email it goes to all five of us, so each five of us really like sitting on our blackberries, and like hundreds of emails are coming in from kids being like, "Oh my God, this, we love this record it 's way better than arrivals and departures or "I like this song or i 'm not sure about that song, but I need to listen to it more I think i 'm going to buy it now and all these all this crazy feedback before the record even came out, and I think that was one of the most innovative and important things that we 've ever done, really? because then on top of that, all of us sat down and just responded to every email that came in. And, uh, and some kids probably got multiple responses from each one of us wow. because of that.
4: But it's also valuable, too, because, you know, you put out a new record and you go on tour and you don't know what... What songs, songs to, to play. play. Yeah. So <laughs> now you know when every kid is saying, you know,
2: American Dream
4: is their favorite song, we know that that's when we need to include in the set list. So it's I, valuable. I hate to be the guy
2: that... What's that application that you could put on your website? That, that, that website that lets you pick...
3: Pick our set. We use... Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That,
2: that guy's going to go down in flames now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Twitter's going to wipe <laughs> him out along with Facebook. Um, uh, there's a couple of uh, final questions here that I, I usually do ask. Um, uh, the... Take, obviously, um, the Bayside situation out of it. But I always ask this. Can you uh, remember the time that you guys almost died on tour? It could be while on the road or on the stage.
3: Um, well, that time coming home from Chicago yeah. in February 2000, uh, 2004. We we came home and we, we played a show in Chicago. It was the last night of tour. We were on tour with uh, from Bob Nash's and, uh, and you know, it was really snowing bad. I think I had the first shift in the van and it was bad. We shouldn't have driven home, but you know, you've been on tour and again, we were always on tour. So we just wanted to go home. I think we had a week off. We're like, let's just get home. So you're driving. and You're not supposed to be driving, but we did it anyways. And well, I'll tell the well, story because yeah. <laughs> it's
4: funny when you ask okay. that question. This is—it's. I thought of the same thing too, but I was the one driving. Yeah, well, I, and, I, I and, drove uh, and then I,
3: I got tired, so I went to and bed. I was but.
4: driving, and it was me and, and Neil up front, and I was driving so slow because it was so bad out. So, like, I was probably driving 25, 30 miles away. Where hour.
2: were you on the road at this point on your trip? We were in home? Michigan. You were in Michigan someplace? Yeah. Okay. yeah,
4: like around Flint, Michigan. Oh, okay, all right. And uh, it was like every half mile there was a car in the ditch. Oh, one know? of those People, nights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was actually the early morning. We'd been driving all night, and it was like probably the sun. The sun was just coming up, and straight up just hit like a patch of black ice, and the trailer and van just slipped, slipped around, and did a three sixty off into the uh, off into the um, uh, median. Well, not the median, the, 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 the grassy grassy yeah, knoll between the, the highway, knoll, whatever yeah. you call it. And the trailer actually opened, and our gear went all over the highway, um, and it was actually really not that serious an accident except we spun out but of course everyone woke up and everyone's like oh my god we almost died and i was like we didn't really almost <laughs> well, die like we were going like 25 miles an hour yeah, that's the thing i mean but, but we, our, if our van flipped over who knows but yeah if
3: our van fl- and if we just bought a new trailer if we had the old trailer that was sketchy maybe you know some shit would have happened it's just it's bad and i mean it definitely gave us like the wake-up call early on that unfortunately a lot of bands have had to go through being like we got to be more careful and mm-hmm. and you know you got to know when just to pull over and and get that that hotel room when you don't want to you know even mm-hmm. if it's the lost year merch money or it's whatever it's really not worth risking it you know you can get home late or you can Absolutely. be be late for the show or cancel a show even I'm sure the fans are gonna realize and unfortunately a lot of bands young bands because it's so competitive and it, you know there's all that perfection that's that's put upon them that they feel like they have to endure weather and safety conditions when they shouldn't and it's unfortunate.
5: Hmm.
2: Um, yeah, I
3: saw your your piece in here about the. Uh, I didn't read it. I just saw that oh, the you band- had a,
2: vandalism thing. Yeah,
4: and an, was it no highway uh, Highway eighty?
2: Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Right, yeah, I yeah. haven't read
4: it yet, yeah, but it is an interesting piece, and it's glad. I'm glad you have that because it is something I really want bands to know. That road is treacherous, and now I know a lot of booking agents are trying to book days off between, so bands can do that drive during the day and stuff.
2: Hmm. Um. Final question. Uh, the Okay, Mike, get your thoughts together. Downloading. Uh, a lot of fans don't understand how it affects musicians financially. A lot of times there is this argument that there's like, well, they, I can download this music, um, steal it, whatever you want to say, um, because either I'm broke, so thus I deserve to take it, or B, um, the record company has tons and tons of money, And so does the band probably because they look really nice when they walk on stage. uh, So it doesn't matter. Um, But what they don't understand is actually how it does affect you guys, musicians. It affects your royalty payments or lack thereof. It affects everything. Um, So I'm just kind of, if you could have five minutes right now uh, to talk to music fans all over the world and express, tell them how um, the decrease in record sales for you, paid record sales... Um, is affecting you personally. Um, Go ahead. I think the
4: simplest way I can explain it, which people don't seem to understand, is that when a band doesn't sell records and the record company doesn't make as much money or loses money, the record label doesn't help the band with things that that everyone knows the band makes money with, like touring. So when... The record label says we're not we're not promoting your tour at all. we're not going to help you because we can't because you're not selling enough records. then the next time the band goes on tour, there's no promotion, less people are showing up at the shows because they simply don't know about it um and then less people are out, and that's really what hurts bands. I think that that's the most direct way that it really hurts i mean at least independent young bands mm-hmm. I think i mean if if you're a band. And, and, I mean, if, if bands are still selling, you know, half a million records, they're still doing all right, you know. But it, it definitely hurts a band if they're used to selling, you know, a 200,000 records, and now they're only selling, like, you know, less than 100,000 records. That really hurts hurts the band, I think.
3: Hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, and the kids, you know, they're going to download it. Sometimes they'll download it in anticipation because they want to hear it before it hits the street Eight and... I can't blame them. I mean, we're music fans. We get excited about releases, just as just as any one of our fans do. But I mean, if you download it and you like it, then go buy it. You know what I mean? Because that that's showing your ultimate uh, respect and, and support for the band. If you're gonna go and buy it, so really, you know, like don't just, just be like, "Well, I've, I I love the band. I love the record." But it was like, then go buy it. You know what I mean? Because um, if it, you know, it's it really it really does help out the artist when that happens.
4: Yeah, I mean, next thing you know you know you someone doesn't buy the record their bands isn't going to tour anymore cuz they won't be able to afford to tour yeah or just have to you rethink
3: know? their all their decisions you know and do things differently
2: exactly so i
3: think that's, that's <laughs> the way it really hurts bands
2: and and i did almost forget the second question but it's important question can you talk about your charity
3: Yes, um, our our charity, um, which is it's, it's very locally based. Um, okay. uh, a good friend of ours uh, by the name of Nicholas Hurlbut um, passed away due to cancer, mm. and um, we he was a local musician um, who was a great you know uh, awesome person and, and played in bands, local bands even that opened for us, um, and we're really tight with his family, and so we we opened up a charity. Um, which raises money for a local hospice because a lot of hospice oh, wow. care isn't—it's um, not like government funded. It's all like kind of private or like uh, uh, you know donated and stuff like that. And that's actually where he ended up uh, ultimately before passing. So um, he was there, and it, it's a great place. It's a local place to us. So that's that's kind of where we've directed um, the fundraising for now. And you know we obviously have more of a broader kind of goal for it. But that's something we started out local because the shows and the benefit shows have been locally based and. And that's something that we've done. And, and again, with those, the shows are always like 100% donated to charity. We have a memorial fund set up. And it's not just like people think when they donate money, that's it. But it's kind of set up where the money makes interest and continues to grow. Oh, wow. And Where you can like donate the interest and then the fund stays intact. So you're actually, uh, you're, it's never going to deplete. It's only going to increase, which is really uh, amazing. So we just kind of, we've set it up like that so far and and it's been pretty successful.
2: And if somebody wants to find out more about it?
3: Uh, it's brofest.org. B-R-O-F-E-S-T. Yeah. yeah, so that's that. And great name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to the whole, like, kind of the, the family and the partnership in our local scene and everything that's going on there and trying to give back. You know, I mean, we go and tour, tour all, over, all over the world and do all these cool things, but it's awesome to go home and do something, like, positive like that in, in our local scene. Wow, that's so, great. That's yeah. really beautiful. Thank you.
2: Um, I wish you guys the best of luck with the new record. Uh, shipwreck in the Sand, um, and you guys recorded this, or you, you wrote this one a little bit differently, but you wanted to make it more of a cohesive record, because I think the quote was, you guys kind of wrote song to song to song to song in some previous works. And, yeah, okay. exactly. The first three records were pretty much exactly like that. Get in a room, just kind
4: of jam it out, and uh, this record, it's, it's funny, you know, you always, it's such a typical interview question, oh, do you guys write the lyrics first or the music first? And this actually, we, I kind of wrote the concept first for yeah, like 4x or 5x. So, yeah. yeah, so 4x. Yeah. We kind of wrote the concept, then sort of wrote the music around the concept and then the lyrics sort of all, t- all together. So, it was a, it was a lot more of a creative experience um a a lot more fun
2: i think this record we had a blast making was this the one you guys probably the most fun doing oh
4: definitely
3: yeah it it was the kind of thing you'd see people like running around the studio like with different instruments and ideas and just like (laughs) a big grin on their face and then cameron being like all right i'm gonna record do whatever you think you want to do there and having these crazy discussions of of how we could shape it into something really cool
2: well that's great that's awesome um i wish you the best of luck um and uh i you know Seriously you guys are um, a band that's um, consistently had a very 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 strong fan base and uh, there doesn't there hasn't a lot of bands kind of go up and down and up and down and you guys haven't had it seemed like you've had that issue uh, which is uh, really fortunate really yeah, fortunate you guys super are very lucky, lucky. yeah cool. thanks so, thank you um, come back again always okay cool
5: to
0: past for i my bag with nice things
1: that Even Remember when your friends told you about Envy on the Coast? The
0: fact that I this
1: song How about can- Never Shout Never? Check. Check one, two. All right, here goes nothing.
0: If timing's everything, stop telling me you're taking your time. I know you're anxious, but you're running your mouth like you
1: were there for tomorrow
0: your initial reply hit me i when i lost my head to it it was out of its time it was
1: undiscovered as i caught my breath again you were running out of These artists and more started off as unsigned bands spotlighted in our monthly APNR section do you want to be the first to know about the newest coolest bands before they're signed then check out the brand new APNR podcast Hosted by web editor Tim Karen, the APNR podcast features over 45 minutes of music from unsigned bands all over the world, as well as plenty of insight as to what they're all about. Download an episode now at altpress.com podcast or subscribe through iTunes so you can start telling your friends about the next big thing before they beat you to it.
0: Remember when times were better, when times were better than
2: AP podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Robert Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.